I said this at the end of last message. I'll say it at the beginning. I think Christmas would be one of the most supernatural times of the year. Because as we remember that he came, we need to remember why he came. To destroy the works of the devil. (laughs) To, To destroy the yokes of bondage. To release healing to those who are sick, to release freedom to those who are held captive, to to bring peace. And as a matter of fact, when the angels came with the announcement, they said, peace on earth. Because Isaiah said his name is the Prince of Peace. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your authority. We thank you for your power, Lord. And so, we, Lord, we thank you for your presence that's in this place. Would you have your way in this service, even as we prepare our hearts for your word, Lord? We say, come and have your way. But, Father, more than anything, we just say we love you. Come on, could you just say that we love you this morning? And we love your presence in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give me a big inspire in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. You may be seated, but only if you turn to the person next to you and say, it's good to see you. How are you doing this morning, Inspired Church? How is everybody? Are you excited to be in the house of God? To our online audience, come on, let's welcome our online audience. We welcome you wherever you're watching from. And of course, our first time guest, if it's your first time here, we would love to meet you immediately following the service in the chapel. Uh, Please don't leave without us getting to know you. Uh, I'm going to hurry and get into the message because I I don't want to run out of time. But can I just say last week was phenomenal. How many of you enjoyed the Christmas special last week? Come on, can we just honor this whole team? I know you guys already walked off stage, but how many know we have the most talented and anointed musicians and singers in this city. They're, they're not just anointed, they're skillful. <laughs> Which is what we're commanded to be, right? I mean, they, they take this seriously. So I, I, I'm so thankful and appreciative of everything that they do. And um, this is, you know, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I don't know if everyone has different opinions about this time. But how many of this is your favorite time of the year? I love from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I just love it. It's special. But I want to reiterate something pastor said because it was heavy on my heart this morning that this season is, is oftentimes filled with joy. It's filled with happiness and family. But for many people, this is a painful time, especially if you've experienced loss, you're going through loss, you're experiencing pain. Maybe it's the pain of divorce, the pain of sickness, um, loss of a family member. Here's another one. How about family tension and strife? And so. Uh, I, I want to say this as a, as a pastor here, and I know I speak for our senior pastor and all of our, uh, our staff here. During this holiday season, if there is anything that we can pray with you about, and I don't know why I feel this heavy on my heart. I mean this. I feel a burden for somebody. If there is anything that you need that we can pray with you about or walk through with, we are here. Every single prayer request that comes through this church, we take it seriously. I want to encourage someone do not who, who are going through something, do not isolate yourself this Christmas season. You're, this, you know, I, I, you're not just a member here, you're a family here. And so 
I just want you to know that we are here for you and um, you're not alone. Amen. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16. Would you turn there quickly with me in your in, 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 in your scriptures in the Bible? Of course, the scriptures. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16. This morning, we've been in a series called more than just a holiday. And I want to speak to you for just a few moments as we're leading up to Christmas. I want to speak from the subject more than just a holiday. A, a, this Christmas is a call to worship. Someone say a call to worship. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Someone say mystery. Mystery. I love that word. I love it. It says great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the what? Flesh, which is what we're celebrating at Christmas, isn't it? We are celebrating the coming of Jesus. But but. You know, what does that mean? How many you know that this, this means everything that God is putting on flesh and he is coming in the incarnation. He is becoming full. He is becoming um, like us. He is fully God and fully man. Right. So the, the writer of Timothy says this. God was manifested in the flesh. God put on flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. Believed on in the world and received up into glory. Someone say amen. And Christmas is special because this is a time that we reflect on the coming of the Lord. And honestly, I think that there's something that we need to do more of. And by the way, let me just say this. Inevitably, every time there's a Christian holiday, people will say this. And I know they mean well. Like they say it at Easter. They say you know, why make such a big deal about Easter? Don't you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord year round? Of course we do. Amen. You wouldn't go to your wife and say, Hey, I celebrate you every day. So we're not going to celebrate our anniversary. You should celebrate your wife every day and you should celebrate your anniversary. At Easter, at Christmas, on Good Friday, during Passion Week, we're not, of course, that's not the only time we visit the text. It's not the only time we think on these things. But how many know that there's power in taking time intentionally throughout the year and remembering what Christ has done? And so that's what Christmas really is all about. I mean, I know it should be all about. Oftentimes we're so distracted and so focused on Um, so many other things, but I love at this time to quiet my heart and get before the Lord and to meditate on what it means that he actually came. Right. I mean, I mean, this is just, this changes everything. Mary's God becomes Mary's baby, but never ceases to be Mary's God. The incarnation is one of the greatest mysteries and miracles. It's indescribable. C.S. Lewis said, for the first time in all of the world, something was in a manger that was bigger than the world. (laughs) Athanasius, writing in, I think, the 4th or 5th century, he said, God had to become like us so that, once again, we could become like him. The incarnation was so important because oftentimes, when we talk about what Jesus did, rightly so, we preach the The uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the essence of the gospel. Amen. But how many of you know that his work didn't just begin at the cross? His work actually began when he put on flesh and came to this world. 
So sometimes I feel like sometimes we, we rush to the death, burial, and resurrection, which rightly so, that's the core of the gospel. But we don't take time to sit and think about the implication of the incarnation and what that means and the fact that God actually came. Are you with me this morning? John 1 said it like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, right, the word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt means he tabernacled among us. And the Bible says we beheld the glory of God. But I just want to encourage you before I get into the meat of this message. uh, As a pastor, this is really coming from me as a pastor. Why I encourage people to take time at at every major Christian holiday. Take time to open up the scriptures and go through the narrative of scripture with your family. And can I tell you one of the reasons why I suggest that? Say, Say, tell me. Okay, I will. When we read the Old Testament, we know that God uh, commanded Israel to observe and keep certain feast days. How many know that's true? Now, of course, we are no longer uh, bound under the law. So obviously Christ fulfilled those things and we are not commanded to, to still do that. But here's the point. It's not, it's, why did God command them to observe and remember? Not only was it for, uh, you know, leading up to the Day of Atonement and Yom Kippur and all those things for the sacrifices. But God had them basically rehearse throughout the year the narrative of the redemptive story of God. So think about it like this. Every single year, they were going through a storyline. And they were remembering and celebrating what God had did and what God is promising. This is important. Because think of it like this. Remembering is good for me, right? And it's good for you because when we remember what we're doing, it is what we're doing is we're bringing it to the forefront of our awareness. Because number one, if, if we don't take time to remember and meditate on things, we tend to forget things. Or we tend to forget to continually place the importance that a thing deserves. So remembering is very important in scripture. As a matter of fact, I think the three top commands are fear not, Give thanks and praise the Lord. But up there with some of the greatest commands in scripture is actually God tells Israel time and time again to what? Remember. Right? And it's because, you know, God God is smart. And how many know he knows what he's doing? Because every year as they're doing these things, guess what? It's not just for their benefit, but how many know that their children are watching them? So, so get this. So every year, the whole family, this is not just an individual thing. The whole family is engaging in an act of remembrance and they're obeying the Lord as they keep that feast day. And so here's the significance is they're not only remembering for themselves, they're actually training up a generation and raising them up into a biblical narrative. Stick with me. I was on a Zoom call with my professor the other day. I'm getting my doctorate right now. And I was on a Zoom call with my professor the other day. And he said something to me that stuck with me ever since I heard him say it. And as a father, I've just been thinking about this. He said, you know, he said the Jewish people have produced more Nobel Peace Prizes than any other people group on the face of the earth. And they're also one of the, you know, their, their population and size is not very big. They're, they're a very small percentage of the world's population. Not only that... Um, 
and again, there are some dangerous stereotypes out there around this, but there's no doubt about this, that the Jewish people um, have an unusual level of success and um, achievement in certain fields. Think Albert Einstein in science. Think Sigmund Freud in psychology. All these different people, whether they, be, they were believers or not, the Jewish community seems to produce a lot of achievement. And, and my professor said this. He said, obviously, people will use the typical response. Why is that? They'll say, oh, because there's favor. I don't want to argue that. How many know there's favor on them? Amen. But how many know there's favor on you, too? Because you've been grafted into the same covenant. But my professor said, he goes, I don't. Here's what I think it is. He says the Jewish community does such a good job of instilling an identity because the time that they're born to the time that they become a young adult, they are immersed in the scriptures, not only immersed, but they're told this is your history. This is who you are. This is what God says about you. My professor has this theory. He says, I actually believe that the Jewish children have an advantage. They don't have the same identity crisis that American kids have. They don't spend their later teenage years wondering who they are. So they're able to then focus on what they can achieve. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. But part of that training is that they're very good, get this, at cycles. They, they learn in cycles. They learn in circles. They don't mind reviewing every year. Hey, as a family, every year, we're going to read these texts and talk about what this means. I want to say this as Christians, we may not have to keep the feast days anymore, but every year at Easter, every year on Good Friday, every year at, Christ, at Christmas, we ought to be opening the scriptures and going through the narrative and telling our kids. Well, for, well, first of all, let me say this, go through the whole Bible, because guess what? Now that they've, we've been been grafted in by the blood of Christ, right? Paul says, if you're of faith, you're the descendant of Abraham. Teach them that the Bible is their history because it is. Because the whole book belongs to us now. Amen. But especially as Christians, the three most important days, Christmas, Easter, and Good Friday, every year, take the time to go through these narratives because you know why? What you're doing is you're immersing your family in the story. You don't wait. Some, we don't wait till they're of the age where they can, and they have to obviously make their own decision to follow Christ later in life. But there's power from the time they're little taking their hand and saying, hey, on, on, on the Passion Week, let's talk about what the Lord did. Let's talk about how he rode into Israel on a donkey. Let's talk about what that meant. Let's talk about what, why they said Hosanna and put palm branches on the ground. Let's talk about all of these things at Christmas. Let's talk about the story. Teach your children because why? It actually, you're not only telling them about Christ, you're actually giving them an identity. All right, I, I got to move on. Are you with me this morning? This is why Paul tells us, you know, obviously remembering is important. This is why he tells us when we take communion, uh, Jesus said it first, he said, as often as you take communion, what you do this in what? Remembrance of me. He said, until I come. Paul reiterates this. So I just want to affirm that. And, and, and challenge you on that. Do not let this Christmas season pass you by and be so distracted and focused on everything else. I mean, how many of you love the festivities of Christmas? I love it. I love the gifts. I love everything that we do. But man, how, how tragic would, would it be if we miss this window of time to gather the family and they say, let's talk about one of the most important, the most important event in human history. 
that is when Jesus came on Christmas morning. But would you turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 2? Let's talk about that story for just a moment if, we, if, if you don't mind. And you know what I love about God? Without fail, it goes back to the learning in cycles. Every year, it doesn't get mundane because I don't know about you, but every year at Christmas time, I read this story and God shows me something different. God always widens the story. He deepens the story. It never fails. Every Passion Week, every Good Friday, every Easter, guess what? God just keeps opening the scriptures. Amen. That's how revelation works. Revelation doesn't work like, oh, hey, you got it. You never have to come back here again. No, revelation looks like I keep coming back to the well of the word of God. I keep coming back to the well. And guess what? Every time he's giving me a drink, every time he's deepening my understanding, every time he's giving me more revelation. So at Christmas time, when we take time to read these stories, we're not just reading stories just to review. We're reading them so that we can see it again. And in Luke chapter 2, if, right now we are a week out from Christmas. What was happening a week from Christmas? This is exactly what was happening in Luke chapter 2. It says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Carinus, Carinius, or whatever his name is, was governing Syria. So all went to be res- registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Someone say amen. So literally, if we were to go back to Christmas Day and rewind a week, here's what's happening is Joseph and Mary, who live in Nazareth, are are beginning to make their journey to Bethlehem. Most scholars believe this would have taken anywhere between five to seven days. This would have also, if Jesus was born in December, we don't know for sure. Um, This would have been also a rainy season. This would have been a very actually treacherous journey. There's no cars. It's very, maybe she rode a donkey. We don't know. But it would have taken anywhere between four, five to seven days. And so they would have been spending the week before Christmas making their way to Bethlehem because Joseph is of the lineage of David. We don't know where Joseph was born. It's it's most likely that Joseph was actually born in Bethlehem and then later moved to Nazareth. But even if he was born in Nazareth, the, the, his family home was back in Bethlehem. So you had to go wherever your family was from. Amen. And so obviously we know the spiritual significance of this. It's been prophesied throughout the Old Testament that out of Bethlehem, the Savior, the Messiah would be born. So we know the significance of this as they're making their way back to Bethlehem. It's fulfilling scripture. Amen. We don't. Mary was not from there, but Joseph was. And Joseph was from the lineage of David. But there's much more going on here. Not only were they going to be registered for the census, this is most likely the first time that Joseph's family is going to meet Mary. Must have been a little awkward. Just stop for just a second. You show up to your hometown and you've, she's pregnant and you've got to try to explain to everybody what's going on. There were, all, there were so many challenges just getting to Christmas morning. But Mary did not just travel with Joseph just because he had to go 
um, uh, not just because she was vulnerable and pregnant, but because they were engaged and he was bringing her to his hometown for them to be registered. Amen. But there's something, there's somebody else that was also making their way towards Bethlehem. And that's actually who I want to focus on this week, uh, today. Matthew chapter two says this, we call them the wise men, right? It says this in verse two, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Notice, I just want, I want you to see something in the text. These men from the east say we, we are following a star and we have come to do what? Come on, say like you had breakfast. We have come to. That's going to be important as we continue. They have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why do you think he was troubled? Because if you're a king, the last thing you want to hear is that there's another king. Herod perked up and said, you, why are you here? And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them. Herod said, what does this mean? They said to him, and they're quoting the Old Testament scriptures in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him. But how many know that Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus? What is Herod wanting to do? He's wanting to kill Jesus. Right? Which, does this sound familiar? When Moses was born, what what did Pharaoh do? It's the same narrative being repeated, except this time, this is not, this is one greater than Moses. This is the Messiah. So when the king had heard, they, they departed and behold, the star which what they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And listen to this. They fell down in what? Say it one more time. And they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country. To their own country another way. Here's what's so amazing. And I want to stop here and and unpack this. Um, These men that we call the wise men. uh, First of all the Bible doesn't say that there were three of them. We don't know how many wise men there actually were. All all, All we're told is that they gave three different types of gifts. But can I tell you why this story amazes me. These men who were. Magi, they were from the Persian Empire. They were most likely from the city of Babylon. What they were, were they were astronomers. They were um, men who were mathematicians. In, in, in modern vernacular, we would call these men scientists. They would be scientists today. And some scholars even believe that they were a part of the Persian cult that was obsessed with astrology. Here's what fascinates me. Here you have some men, right? 
coming from the east because they're reading the cosmos. They're reading the stars and they're saying something significant is happening. And all my mind is thinking about how the Bible says that the heavens declare the what? Glory of the Lord. And what's amazing is these men do not serve Yahweh. They don't, they, don't know, they don't know the God of Yahweh. In fact, they're pagan. They don't serve the God of Israel. But they're seeing, they're reading the stars and they're saying something supernatural is happening. And based upon their knowledge of this, they actually start journeying towards because they understand something significant is happening. I don't think we ever stop to think about how incredible this story is. Because when they showed up, they say there's a king that's going to be born and we've come to worship him. Are you getting this? On Christmas morning, Jesus is being born in a manger and some people are coming from 900 miles away saying, we don't even serve your God, but we're coming to worship whoever this baby is that's being born. And so I, while they're just following a star, I actually believe they were, God had his hand in this and was actually leading them. And because here's why the Bible says when they got there, they opened their treasures. Someone say treasures. It says it right here. They opened their treasures. You know, growing up, I always had this image that they, you know, like, like it was a white elephant Christmas party where they just brought a little gift and said, here, Jesus. And then they worship. No, 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 no. It says they opened treasures. They came with what? Gold. Someone say gold. Frankincense and myrrh. And these men who didn't serve Yahweh are bringing a gift and they're coming to worship Jesus. And they don't even understand that even the three gifts that they're giving are prophetic. But, you know, as I, I searched the literature this week, and I, there's no consensus out there, but almost everyone unanimously agrees that whatever the amount that this gift was worth, these gifts were very, very, very expensive. Because gold was gold, and how many know gold is gold? You had frankincense, which was something that they mixed with incense. This, this was something that was very costly. And then, of, co- of course, myrrh. And how many know this was a fragrance? And back then, it wasn't like today. You couldn't just pop in Dillard's or Macy's and say, I'd like some myrrh. That's not really how it worked. This stuff was very, very expensive. We know that the woman who, who broke the alabaster box at Jesus' feet, her offering that she poured on his feet that day was a year's salary. And so here you have these magi, whether it's three, some people say up to 12, these men who traveled. And Jesus has been born and they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's what I do know. Some people suggest that the gift could have easily, in today's worth, gone into the low low millions. Some say hundreds of thousands. Here's all I know. They brought expensive gifts. Can we just agree? They brought expensive gifts. And this blows my mind because... They don't know God. They just know something's happening. And I believe they were being led by the hand of God, even if they don't believe it, know it or understood it at the time. And they said, we've come to worship him. And guess what? We're not just showing up empty handed. We've brought treasure with us. Why? Because we understand that something of value is happening. This is a king. And this isn't it just like God. All right. I just just stop for a second. Isn't it just like God to send pagans to finance something? Because immediately after this, Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt because Herod is trying to kill Jesus. 
And how many of you know Mary and Joseph were just common people? They were not very rich people that we know about. And so God, God uses these three pagans who come to worship from the east. And get this. Just picture Christmas, that first Christmas morning. They're bringing these expensive gifts. They're not bringing these gifts to Herod's palace. They're not at the Westin or the Four Seasons. They're bringing these expensive gifts into a smelly, stinky, what we call a stable, what they would call a grotto or like a shepherd's cave. Full of you know what? Smelling like you know what? And they said, we've come to worship. And very shortly after this, Mary and Joseph are going to have to run to Egypt To get away. And guess what? God just used some people who don't even know him to finance their life. Some scholars even believe that we don't know this, but people speculate that this could have even been some of the finances that financed his ministry later in life. But that's neither here nor there. The point is this, is that people who did not know him. Did not know the God of Israel showed up on Christmas morning to worship. Can, can, I, can I draw some parallels for a second? It, it, it would be tragic if we would let this Christmas season pass us by. And we, we focus our attention on buying all of these expensive gifts for other people. And never take time to do what these pagans did on Christmas morning. Because they even understood on this day he deserves our best. Because see in this Christmas season... I love all the festivities. I love the gifts. But if we're not careful, here's what we do on Christmas. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, baby Jesus. Okay, let's go. Let's go to the mall. Let's go see Santa. Let's go do all this stuff. And when all those things are great, but we're missing the, the significance of Christmas. And guess what? And sometimes believers miss it. But in the scriptures, pagans got it. They said this day is going to change history. Nothing will be the same after this. We've got to get to Jerusalem. We've got to worship. And guess what? We're not going to show up empty handed. We're going to bring the best that we have. So they bring gold. Someone say gold. Gold signifies kingship. I don't have time, but you can go throughout all of scripture. So these magi show up and they don't even, all they know is they're honoring this baby. But guess what? They don't even know that they're prophesying. They said, we've brought gold. What does gold represent? Gold represents kingship in scripture. I don't think I need to convince you of that. They also brought what? Frankincense. Guess what that was prophesying and speaking to? It was frankincense was used in going all the way back to the Leviticus chapter 2. Frankincense was mixed in and it became incense. It was part of the worship in the temple. It was part of the sacrificial system and it represents worship. And so when, when these pagans were giving Jesus frankincense, what they're saying is, whether they realize it or not, is you are God and you are worthy of our worship. But it's the third one that gets me. They bring him myrrh. Very, 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 very costly fragrance. And they don't know any better, but they're giving him myrrh. But what does myrrh speak to? Myrrh is what they would put on the bodies of kings and rich men whenever they would die. So even at Jesus' birth, the gifts that are laid at his feet is speaking to his destiny. Born to you this day in the city of David, you're, 
I'm paraphrasing. Here's the king. That's the goal. But he's not just any king. This is the God man. This is the word becoming flesh. This is the deity of Jesus. He is God. He's Emmanuel, God among us, to be worshipped. And then the myrrh speaks to his assignment. But see, look at how it mixes in with the whole story. So when they handle myrrh, they think they're just giving him a gift. But one day, we know from scripture, Jesus is going to be, his body is, they're going to pour, pour, pour myrrh on his body. If you'll remember in John chapter 19, after Jesus was crucified, Joseph of forgot what they call him. His name was Joseph, not Jesus' father, another Joseph. Of Amartheus or something like that. Joseph or Amethia or something like that. Who was a wealthy man. He let Jesus borrow his tomb. Joseph and another guy named Nicodemus. Y'all remember Nicodemus? Apparently Nicodemus got saved. Come on, let's clap for Nicodemus. <laughs> they go to Pilate. And they say, can we anoint his body with myrrh? And so when they took Jesus' body down, they put myrrh on his body so that he would have the fragrance that was due and the honor that he, that was due to him. So picture this on Christmas morning. These three pagans have come to worship. Their gifts alone not only financing the family that's what I believe their needs they're honoring Jesus but they're also prophesying his destiny and then to think about it like this they're giving him the myrrh that signifies his death and then on top of that Jesus is being laid in a what a manger babies don't belong in mangers but lambs do lambs do There's another reason I believe he had to be born in Bethlehem. He was the heir of David's throne. But guess what else Bethlehem was known for? Bethlehem was only five miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem was literally a five mile walk from Jerusalem. Where do you think they got a lot of the lambs that were sacrificed in the temple? From the fields of Bethlehem. And scholars say every year when they would make the ultimate sacrifice at Passover, the Passover lamb, oftentimes, remember, the, the priest would have to go find a lamb that was without spot or, or, or blemish. It was often, those lambs often were supplied from the fields of Bethlehem. And guess what those shepherds would do in Bethlehem? Every once in a while, a lamb would be born and it was a special lamb. It was not like any other lamb. And this lamb would be born and they would say, oh, this lamb is special. Look at it. It's without spot. There's no blemish. It's bones are in. Everything is. This is a special lamb. Guess what they would do to those lambs? Wrap them in swaddling clothes. And they would take them and kind of keep them separate. And so we have this entire prophetic picture on Christmas morning. You have these, these 
magi who don't know God. They're giving him gifts. They're giving him myrrh and they don't even know they're prophesying his death. And Jesus is being born in a place that humans don't belong. But he's not just another human. He is the Lamb of God. And he's born in a place where they would often come and find him. But then the angel shows up to the shepherds. It says, born to you this day in the city of David. And it says this, the angel says this, this will be your sign. You will find him wrapped in. They've been here before. They've been raising sheep their whole life. They know this symbology. They understand what's being told to them. Not only of the prophecy concerning Jesus, but even just the symbology. And I believe one of the reasons he showed up to the shepherd was not just that Jesus was identifying with the outcast. He was. But also he was saying, look, you've been raising lambs your whole life. In fact, you've been the caretakers of the lambs that have been sacrificed in the temples for years. You want to see something? Go behold the Lamb of God. Would you stand with me to your feet? There's so much more I could say, but I'm out of time. I wanted us to immerse ourselves in the story this morning. You know why? Because I want us to go home And I want us to tell our families. I want us to sit our kids down and tell these stories. But not just because it's something we do. It's not not just a cultural thing. It's not just a... No, so that we can actually talk about the day that changed history. Everything changed for us on Christmas morning. But before I go any further, would you bow your heads with me? What better time to receive Christ if you don't know him than at Christmas? Why not receive the best Christmas gift you could ever receive? If you don't know him in this place and you want to, would you just slip up your hand? God bless you, my friend. I see your hands. Praise God. Online. If you're there, just slip up your hand. Come on, Spar Church. Can we pray this together? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you came. Father, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In your name we pray. Come on, let's give them a hand clap. But don't just stop there. Don't just stop there. Please go on. We, we, we don't believe in just praying a prayer one time. You have to follow him. And so we were, we're putting these on the screen. If you want to sign up for prayer, salvation, baptism, please do so. And they're going to put up pastor's devotion. But before you rush out of here this morning, can, can I ask, can we do something? This morning, I'm putting out a call this week. Christmas is a week away. And I want us to prepare our hearts. I want this to be a time 
of encounter for you and your family. I, I truly believe this. I believe Christmas should be one of the most supernatural times of the year. Because you want to tell you why? Without Christmas, there is no incarnation. Without incarnation, there's no savior. Without no savior, I am lost and I'm dead in my sin. If I'm lost and dead in my sin, I'm, I'm a hopeless wretch imprisoned by my own sin and sinful nature. I'm a, I'm a slave to sin. And if I'm a slave to sin, I can only expect to reap death because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? If I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, I'm cut off from the riches and excellencies of Christ from the eternal gift of knowing him. I'm alienated from the covenant and promises of God. And without him, I have no purpose or destiny. And I'm left to figure my own existence out. And I'm left to give my own meaning to my life. And inevitably, the world becomes harsh, cold, unbearable place. And there is no real hope. But you can reverse that. Because he came. Because there was a Christmas morning. Hello. Because there was an incarnation, I'm no longer dead and and, and enslaved to sin. I'm no longer alienated from God. I'm reconciled to God. I have the eternal gift of knowing him. I've been brought into the covenant. The promises of God are now yes and amen in him. I, I have a purpose and a destiny. The eternal purposes of Christ are now my identity. And now my life has meaning and value. And I don't have to go through life trying to figure out who I am. I know whose I am and who I belong to and what he's called me to. And most importantly, and more than anything, I have been giving the gift of salvation, which John says the ultimate gift of salvation is knowing him. All of that starts with this miracle of Christmas morning. So as we close, I want to, I want us to do something as an act of worship. I want you to join me at this altar and I want to pray over you. And I want a prayer of bless a prayer of blessing over you and your family. That this week would not just be another week. But as we remember together, as we celebrate what Jesus has done. That this will be not just a festive time, but a supernatural time. Come on, just come lift in your hands. David said in one verse, he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of my. Christmas is a good time to recover your, the joy of your salvation. <laughs> because he came to set the captives free, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to, to set liberty to those who are bound. He came to bring reconciliation and forgiveness and so Christmas you know the holidays can be such a uh, time of turmoil even in families as there's strife and bitterness and unforgiveness and all those things that's why I think Christmas should be one of the most supernatural times because as we remember that the fact that he came and why he came it should it should 
do something to us, something supernatural where we forgive those who have wronged us, where we reconcile to people who we are um, at odds with, where, where the God can bring healing and restoration in the, your, the area of your family and relationships. That if you're facing sickness, it's a good time to remember what Isaiah said about this child. He said, by his stripes, we are healed. The chat, if, if you need peace in, the, in this house today, this, guess what Isaiah said about this child that was given? The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. The iniquity of us all were laid upon him. So whatever it is you need this Christmas season, the spiritual state, the healing, the, 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 the need for God to do something in your life. Christmas is a reminder that he came. So Father, right now, I lift up every single individual, every single home, every single family. I just, I don't know why that scripture keeps coming to me. I, I pray that this Christmas that you would begin to restore the joy. Someone say joy. The joy of our salvation. The God where we have experienced great hopelessness and, 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 and challenges and despair. God, we thank you because of the gospel. You supply hope and joy and abundance because he came, God. We weren't left to ourselves. We weren't left to figure it out. He came, he came, he came, and he came on a rescue mission. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to find those who are bound. I came to set free those who are in captivity. And so, Father, I thank you that Christmas is a great time for miracles. Christmas is a great time for the supernatural. I pray that this week as we are gathered around with our families, God, I pray that we would not only get caught up in the festivities of this season but father i pray as families open up the scriptures as we talk about your name even at the mention of your name i pray that your presence is is in our homes god that your peace is in our homes god that during christmas I, i pray that we would experience what the what the scriptures speak of as shalom wholeness lacking nothing in you So, Father, I speak a blessing over them and their families. Lord, we thank you for the miracle of Christmas. And I, I, I pray that a special call would go out in this season. That as we remember, that we would lay down and we would worship the Lamb of God. That was slain before the foundations of the earth. We thank you for the gift of Christmas in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. God bless you, Inspired Church. Our altars are open.